welcome. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm part of the teaching team here at Alpine Church. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. It is an honor to come and worship with you guys and to be led by so many talented musicians here within our structure. It's pretty awesome. We are in week three of this Trinity series, and hopefully you're here, and if you haven't been here, we'll kind of catch you up to speed a little bit. It's a five-week series. And this has been a great series, although this word can be confusing to many different people for many different reasons. The Trinity really expresses who God is and reveals the nature of God to us. And there's many different thoughts and ideas that exist out there, but luckily we're going to look at God's word and what God's word is speaking to us about the Trinity today. But for many people, the word Trinity is a big roadblock because they understand there's some details about God, and last week we looked at oneness, and today we're gonna to be looking at the persons of the Trinity, which is the three, and so right there, the oneness and the three, they just clash in so many people's minds, and it's a stumbling block for so many people, and what I mean by that, it keeps them from discovering who God is. But what I wanna say is there's so many things about God that we're not gonna have full understanding for example, when I read Genesis and I look at the power of God through creation and how he created all things by speaking things into existence, that is a powerful God. I can't really relate to that power. I have a garage full of power tools that I use when I want to create and make something. And if I showed you some of the things I've made with those power tools, you would laugh. It doesn't always work out the great. Hey, those compound miters are really, really hard. 45s I've mastered. The compound, not yet. But what I'm saying is I can't relate to God who can just speak things into existence. That is a power that amazes me when I read Genesis through creation. And so also when I think of God's love and just God's knowledge, I can't relate to the complete, full understanding of it. But I can look to his word, and I can allow God to speak to me about his love. There is, his word equips us with who he is, with who we are, all about relationships, all about life, when life's good, when life's bad. It's all the instructions in here. It's all good. And so many times when I talk to somebody that's struggling with the Trinity, I say, have you looked into God's word? And they just haven't taken the time to really hear from God about the Trinity. So I'm going to speak scripture today. We're going to be looking at scripture of God speaking to us. But if you want to know about the Trinity and the details of the Trinity and the essence of who God is and God's nature, it's best to hear from God himself. And that goes for everything about life, about you. It's most important to know what God has to say about the truth about you. It's in here. Some of it's bad news, but there's good news also. So we're going to be looking at that, but my hope is that we have a better understanding of the Trinity. God wants to use us to be able to communicate details about him to the people who God puts before us. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start by looking at the three truths about the Trinity. Here's the first one. There is one God. We looked at that last week. We looked at the, the Shema prayer, and it says, oh, Israel, listen, listen, oh, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. There is no other God. And so we see this oneness that scripture talks about when it talks about God, and that's what we covered last week. And today, God exists in three persons. And so there's the paradox, 
right there. There's this oneness about God, and Scripture is very clear, and it upholds the essence of oneness of God. But today we're going to be looking at the three persons. And each person is fully God. So there's one God, and we have the three persons. That's why it's called the Trinity. And each person is fully God. Now, don't worry. If you need an illustration or if you need a visual, this is very helpful. So we've been using this throughout the series, and this is going to help communicate the important details of the three persons today. We have the Son, we have the Father, and we have the Spirit. And here's the first thing that when you're communicating or trying to understand the details of the Trinity, there is unity in being. They are one being. That is the oneness of God. So we start there, the definition of the Trinity. There is one being. But now the threeness, and this is important. There is a distinction in persons. Unity in being, distinction in persons, which means the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. Now, I know we've gone over this, and this image is important to continue to go over because the light bulbs have come on each week, and we've heard some great things from feedback from Alpiners, and it was this distinction part that people did not understand. They thought the Trinity and the oneness was all related, so they were like, you know, is God the person, and, or the Father the person, the Son the person, and the Spirit the person? Is that all one? No, there is distinction there. And we're going to let Scripture prove this to us. This isn't just my words, but God is going to reveal this to us. And here's our first point. The Bible shows God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before we jump into Scripture, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that your word would speak to us. As we look at the nature of who you are, God, this is an important, it's important to get God right, and we pray that we would have this understanding truly of who you are, this one being with three distinct persons, God. I pray that each and every one of us would learn and have just a better understanding so that we could be used by you first and foremost so we're drawn closer to you. That this trinity in this topic isn't to cause division between us and you, God, but it's to reveal who you are to us and it should draw us closer to you. And I pray that that would happen through this message and through the scriptures we're about to read. We love you, we praise you, and we dedicate this time to you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's look at this distinction in Scripture. And it starts to show up in the very first chapter of the Bible. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, if you're just reading through this, you're going to miss a whole lot. But here it is. Then God said, that is singular. It's talking about the oneness of God. Then look, it says, let us, referring to God. God is now us. It turned to plural. Also in chapter 11, it's the Tower of Babel, and, and God uses this same language when God was going to bring confusion by bringing other languages in. He says, let us go down and cause this confusion. That's God speaking. So we see it here in Genesis right from the beginning. Let us. There's a pluralism. Now, you're either saying, well, this is bad grammar, or that there's something to God that God is revealing to us, and it's more than singular. And that's what's happening here in Genesis. Now, if this was the only scriptures about the Trinity, there'd be a lot more confusion. But when we look to the New Testament, we see this. We see more of this now, what this us was talking about in Genesis chapter 1. 
It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So when you look at the us in Genesis, and really throughout the Old Testament when it talked about the us of God, meaning plural, more than one, now you're starting to see the distinction now between the persons of the Trinity. We see Jesus, obviously it's at Jesus' baptism. We see the Spirit descending on Jesus, settling on him like a dove. And then we see the Father, a voice from heaven, this is the Father, words of affirmation to a son, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So we can see the distinction here in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Now I've also heard people try to say, well, no, the Trinity can't be true because of this verse, because they're not thinking through the distinction. And if you're thinking that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all the same, you see, then we say, well, here it is. Here's a picture. They're all three here together. And they say, because they're all three there together, there can't be the Trinity. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's not true. But what you're saying is, yes, they all three are there. But there is distinction between the persons of God. Distinction, unity and being, one fully God, one being, one God, three distinct persons. And as we look into this more and more, let's look at this common error that denies the Trinity is the fallacy of modalism, that there is one God who appears in three different forms. So let's take a minute to try to combat the Trinity just for a second. Modalism is saying that Yes, there's one God, so they're trying to uphold the essence of the oneness of God, but then God takes on modes. Sometimes God is the Father, and then he changes that mode from Father to the Spirit or also changes from the Spirit to the Son. If you've ever watched any Hollywood movies about characters that play multiple roles in the same movie, it's kind of like that picture. I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, the late Robin Williams, part of the movie, he's his dad, and then he wants to spend more time with his kids, so he becomes the nanny, and he puts on a costume. And he's, half of the movie, he's dad, half of the movie, he's Mrs. Doubtfire. That's kind of modalism in a, in a snapshot where God at times is this person, then this. Sometimes he's the father, sometimes he's the son. Sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. But we see this in Mark 14, 36. It says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see, what's happening here is the Son is coming to the Father in prayer, and they are communicating. The Son is communicating something to the Father. And you say, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. He's, he's acknowledging the Father. Everything is possible. Now, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to pay for the sins of the world. He's under tremendous anguish of what that means to pay for your sins and all the sins, past, present, and future sins of the world. It's a list that's even too much to write out all the sins of the world. And Jesus is about to go give his life, and he prays to the Father, and he's praying to the Father, and then he submits there's this submissive part of Jesus because it's the Father's plan. And we see this. There would be no need if they are the same form. Or he's a form now and then he comes up, you know, modalism does just, has errors just within this one scripture. 
about Jesus would not be speaking to the Father, seeking the Father, and then surrendering to the Father's will if Jesus. Now, a lot of people will also say, well, yeah, was Jesus talking to himself in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying to the Father? No. It's because of that distinction part that people are confused about. One being the oneness of God, but three distinct persons. Now, there's been a lot of metaphors that have come up that try to explain the Trinity, and maybe you've fallen into some of those camps. And Wayne Gruden gives us this great quote about metaphors that we use. It says, sometimes people have used several analogies drawn from nature or human experience to attempt to explain this doctrine. Although these analogies are helpful at an elementary level of understanding, they all turn out to be inadequate or misleading on further reflection. And so, so many times I've heard this in, in, you know, the 25 years I've been a Christian, you know, you'll hear water, ice, and steam kind of talking about the Trinity as people, even Christians. And what they're doing is they're falling in modalism. At times, Father is ice, or God is ice, and then God is liquid, and then God is steam taking on these different forms. Now look, God is very gracious with us. If that's you, if you've ever used that analogy, it's not really accurate. And I get it, we're trying to simplify. There's times we're trying to simplify. A lot of times it's the egg, it's the shell, it's the oak, and it's the surrounding fluid around the, the yolk that's talked about as the Trinity. I've heard Trinity talked about like it's the light switch and then there's the power line going to the light and then the source. They all are wrong. But God's not going to come down on us trying to explain it. But what I heard a message from a pastor many years ago talking about the Trinity says, don't use metaphors, use scripture. Turn to God's word. Allow God's word to speak to you about who he is and the nature of who he is. Now just back to modalism where God takes on these different forms. If you go to eternity past, and this is why modalism to me just, it, it's not even possible. If you go to eternity past, before creation, God existed. He's always existed. And if he is a God that takes modes, and in 1 John it says God is love, but you would have God without any objects to love before creation. It would be impossible for God to love because there's nothing to love. There's no objects to love. And see what the Trinity does it remains true to the words of who God is. If God is love, we need to understand that God is a relational being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed. And they have always existed in a perfect loving harmony of one being and three distinct persons. So that's how you can challenge modalism. And so now we're going to look at the Trinity and really get practical here of how the Trinity impacts us, impacts our daily lives. We relate personally with each member of the Trinity as we discover their unique roles in creation, prayer, and salvation. And we're going to start with creation. And this is beautiful. Again, looking at the nature of God and who God is and what he has done for us, and we can see God's love for us in all three of these aspects, Creation, prayer, and salvation. And it's just incredible that we are a part of the story. I love this. Here's the first. The Father planned the work. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here's the Father, the distinct part of creation of how the Father worked. He is the initiator. He planned creation. And the good news is, this is where we show up in the story, you are a part of God's plans. When we look at how he planned creation, you are a part of it. Then we look at Jesus, the son performed the work. John 1, 3, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Jesus is the creator. All things were created in and through him. Nothing was created without him. The father initiated the plan. Jesus is the creator, performed the work. And here's the great news. The spirit powered the work. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I just want to stop here and talk about the Holy Spirit and the power. The power through creation. I kind of opened up with this. It is incredible God's power and that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit powered the work. And then fast forward to the when we understand the details about salvation, the Bible says when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit, when God spoke and the power to create things is the same spirit that dwells in you. I mean, just that, that is mind-blowing when you really understand what God, who God is, what God has done, and how that impacts our lives and what God does for us. That we have the power of the all-creating God who powered creation who set things forth in creation, dwelling in us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you the helper. That's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus knew we were going to need help. We were going to face things in life that we don't know how we're going to experience or how we're going to get through it. There are things that sometimes that are put before us, and there's news that comes in, and we don't know how to handle it. And there's times it's very, very scary there are details that we're just not fully equipped to be able to handle. And God says, don't worry. I'm here. I'm in you. I will remain faithful in my promises. It's my power that's going to get you through this. It's my words that are going to get you through this. And that is very comforting. And my hope is that when we fully understand this creation part, we're a part of God's creation, a part of God's plan, it talks about we live by faith, putting our faith in the Holy Spirit to get us through this. Sometimes we don't know how the outcome's gonna be. It's putting our faith and trust in God. Saying, God, you're leading this, you're in control, and I'm gonna put that faith in you. And drawing upon the Spirit who dwells in us. And we see the Trinity here in the creation, and we are God's treasured creation, that this creation was for us more objects for God to love and more objects here to love God. That's God's plan, and it's an incredible love story, and you are a part of it. All right, prayer. We'll see how the Trinity impacts our prayer. Jesus taught us this. He says, we pray to the Father. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So when Jesus walked the face of the earth, it's incredible Incredible to me how much time he spent in prayer. Now, Jesus is fully God. We've seen that. He went to God the Father in prayer all the time, especially leading up to the cross, that anguish that he was feeling. So it's good when we're feeling anguish or uncertainty, we are to go to God. But here's the, 
Here's the question. If Jesus, God in the flesh, prayed consistently, daily, throughout his life here on earth when he had his time with us, how much more important is it for us to be in prayer? Like, I just feel like sometimes we just miss the understanding of God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. We can hear from God through, through his word. This is God speaking to us. But he created you out of love. And he wants to hear from you. And just, just think about it. This, we have this perfect, loving father. I mean, he is love. In 1 John, it says he is love. And he wants to hear from his children. Think about that, parents who have kids that you could never, ever hear from your children. It would break your heart. And Jesus modeled this. God in the flesh. And so my hope is that we would have this thirst to seek God in prayer and to follow what the Trinity has done to allow us to be able to come before the Lord. And that's Jesus' part. As we get here, it says, through the Son. So we, pay we pray through to the Father through the Son, and here it is in Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. You see, when we're born into this world, we're separated from our sin. And what Jesus has done, he's come to this broken world to save us for our sin. We're going to talk about that in the next point when we get to salvation. But here, it's important to understand we now have access to God because Jesus has reconciled us. He has opened the doors for us to allow, allows us to go to the throne of God with our request. He's done the work of what he went to the cross and died for our sins, and now we have access to God to bring our concerns, to bring our joy, to bring the needs, whatever the case may be in prayer. Jesus is the one that we pray through because he gave us the access to be able to go to the throne of grace. And then here's the spirit again, in the power of the spirit. There's that word again, power. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Again, this is how the Trinity should impact our daily life of prayer. In the power of the spirit. There are so many things, again, like I had mentioned before, that we are just not equipped to handle, but with God, anything's possible. Any and all things are possible when you have God. God leading you, God guiding you, understanding the power of the spirit and how God wants you to have a rich and satisfying life and how God wants to bring victory to you in your life. And so often we get in the way of that, but luckily and thankfully, God remains faithful. God remains faithful to us. And it's through the power of the Spirit that we accomplish our prayers. And here's the last point. In salvation, the Father initiated the plan. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. For this is what my Father has commanded. We see the Father, the distinct person of the Trinity, the Father initiated the plan and came up with the plan of salvation. Why? because we were separated from him because of our sin. And that breaks God's heart. And so he initiated and came up with this plan. And then we see the second person, the son, the distinct part of the son in salvation. The son accomplished the plan. 
Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Again, Jesus, this Trinity, and how this Trinity brings us the gift of salvation. And Jesus left his perfect reign in heaven, and I'll tell you, it's going to be awesome. For those that experience heaven, it's going to be better than anything that we even can come close to here on earth. And Jesus is reigning in heaven with the Father, with the Spirit, in perfect harmony. He says, I love these people. I have to go die for these people. And he leaves the throne room, and he comes to this broken world for you and for me. He says, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve for your sin upon myself. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be nailed to the cross. I'm going to die for you. So in return, you can receive life. It's the most amazing love story there is, God's love for us. In creation, we're a big part of his plan. There's a problem. We always want to go our way over God's way. We're sinners, but yet God didn't leave us stranded. He sent Jesus, and Jesus died for our sins. And then the Spirit's part. The Spirit brings forth the fruit. God the Father knew, knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, we do not make ourselves holy. So often I hear people say, man, I really got to get cleaned up before I go to church. No. You come in your raggedy clothes. You come with all your sin. You come before God of who you are. You're a sinner, and God does the cleaning. God, the holy, separate, set-apart God, comes in and transforms you. But it's through the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings forth that fruit. When Jesus ascended, ascended into heaven, he says, I'm going to send you the helper. Why? Because Jesus knows we need help. And I'm going to send the helper for you to help you through life, through help you through relationships, through help you through your workplace, through help you with the conflict at church, to help you with the conflict at home. He sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in us to equip us to be holy, not because of who we are, but because we have God dwelling in us that God prompts us to help us to listen to his word, to listen to and obey his commandments. That's the role of the spirit. And a way to summarize listening to his commandments, honoring God with your life is used with this fruit. We should have lives that produce fruit. A healthy fruit tree produces great fruit. And what God wants for his people is to be healthy. Seek me, honor me, obey my commandments, be fruitful in your communities. Reflect my love, reflect my light. And this is the Trinity at work in our lives. It is just not some theological equation about God that we're trying to figure out. But it's personal, it's relational, that we interact with the entire Trinity through creation, through our prayer, through salvation, through our everyday life. The Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, want to influence your life. And so often we just don't allow that to happen. And my hope is that we'd have this better understanding of the Trinity. First and foremost, how God's nature is expressed through the Trinity, because it's beautiful. Unity in being, one being, three dis distinct persons. And then how that impacts your life, your children's lives. It's an incredible love story. You're a part of it. And my hope is that we will be used by God, that this, is, this word, the Trinity, is not some stumbling block, 
that keeps people from coming to God, but we can walk with people and point them to God.